This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Angry mobs push back against BC's vaccine passport. Is it a nuisance or national security threat? Vaccine card confusion. The resources are just not there. Answering questions about how businesses will check your status. And an out of control driver terrifies the downtown crowd. And that's when I realized, oh, shit. Uh, I'm gonna die. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Another protest against vaccines and vaccine passports in Vancouver today. Smaller than the protest outside Vancouver General Hospital last week, but still noisy and disruptive. As Amaragahi reports, it's a continuing nuisance that has the hospitality industry worried about what's going to happen when it's required by law to ask for proof of vaccination. Perhaps the mass condemnation has had an effect. This was a considerable drop-off in the number of people protesting in Vancouver against what science is clearly proving to be our best protection against COVID-19. But the concern for many business owners in this very moment is the potential of someone who is this passionately unreasonable showing up at their door. There's a lot of ads about this. Government's being quite clear what's going on. If people are showing up and they don't have a vaccine passport prepared, we know that they're coming to pick a fight, uh, and that's fully unacceptable. A bogus anti-vaxxer one-star rating and abusive comments on Facebook. Just one example of what owners of Ratio Coffee and Pastry in Vernon are dealing with for saying they will follow the rules set out for every restaurant like them to check for proof of vaccination starting Monday. Knowing that I could get a $2,300 fine, this is not, not okay. You will see in every restaurant and bar in British Columbia a sign that says, by order of the government and by order of the provincial health officer, we have to do this. The jury is out on whether the process at the door for restaurants and bars checking vaccine cards will be simple or problematic. Bars and nightclubs may have the advantage with the staff they already have checking IDs. There are some restaurants that don't have greeters and they're going to have to put people in. Another approach appears to be hiring security to avoid confrontation. We're getting a lot of inquiries. We don't want to take abuse for just doing, uh, doing what the law says they must. Tuesday, the B.C. Premier hinted the province could help businesses with some of these new expenses. But here is another way people can help. There's lots of restaurants Lots of uh, chains, too, that are doing many, many of the right things and trying to protect their, their patrons and their staff. So reward them with good reviews and drown out the negativity with positivity. Amaragahi, Global News. An ugly scene in Dawson Creek highlights the tensions over COVID-19 in one of B.C.'s least vaccinated regions. As police arrested a man for trespassing and resisting arrest, Protesters yell out brown shirts and Nazis. As Ted Chernecki reports, leaders of the Jewish community are condemning the comparison. 
Nazis! We've seen it on several occasions now, the comparison of COVID restrictions to Nazi Germany. It's abhorrent to the Jewish community, and it happened again, this time in Dawson Creek. Brown shirts! Brown shirts! Anti-maskers and vaxxers had gathered outside City Hall, while inside, delegates spoke against any further restrictions, one of them referencing the Nuremberg trials and the dangers of one simply following orders. But that Nuremberg Code has not been recalled, and it's still in effect. It's being used today. As one protester was being taken away for trespassing after being told to leave, an RCMP arresting officer had had about enough. If you ever compare this to not Brown shirts. again, you are absolutely Brown insane. shirts. You Brown have no shirts. idea what people went through. Last week's spectacle did not go unnoticed by the Jewish Federation of Greater Vancouver. The horrors of the Holocaust are in no way comparable to a vaccine passport policy. The former was the systemic murder of six million Jews and millions of countless others. The latter is a policy to protect people. To compare the Holocaust and the vaccine passport policies is beyond lazy, attention-seeking behavior. It is dangerous. It's my rights, my body. The mayor tried to explain that the new COVID measures were really about protecting the health care system. Dawson Creek has the lowest vaccination rate in the province, below 60%, while hospitalizations in neighboring Alberta are soaring, as they are in Prince George. Uh, there's 10 ICU patients in Prince George Hospital, nine of them unvaccinated. The concern that they have is the impacts of uh, the health care system by those COVID patients who are ending up in ICU. There's a lot of people that I know that have vaccinations that think the government has gone one step too far with the vax card. And these are people that are vaccinated. The same week, a crowd gathered outside MLA Mike Bernier's constituency office, and because death threats were made on social media, the police were called in. Ted Chernaki, Global News. Let's take a look at the COVID-19 numbers for the past 24 hours. We have 814 new cases, and our active case number is up over 5,500 now. 261 people are in hospital, 129 of those patients are in the ICU. Thankfully, though, there are no new deaths to report today. And on the vaccination front, 77.7% of eligible British Columbians, 12 and older, are now fully vaccinated. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, you have some new data about the patients that are in ICU, and it really Mm -hmm. points once again to the importance of getting vaccinated. Yeah, if you find yourself in ICU with COVID-19, you're in a very dangerous situation. You're likely on an incubator uh, and people pass away from COVID-19 in ICUs. We're going to take a deeper dive here. And if you're an anti-vaxxer out there, pay close attention to this uh, this graphic, folks. 129 cases today in ICU. 112 of them are in people without a single dose of vaccine. That's almost 87%. Eight are partially vaccinated with just one dose, less than 7%, and nine fully vaccinated with 7%. For the first time today, the government has released the age breakdown of people in ICU. Here are the stats as of yesterday. The people in their 20s, there's five cases in their 20s in ICU. There's 14 people in their 30s, 13 people in their 40s, 27 in their 50s, and you see the numbers there. And in terms of the fully vaccinated, it's interesting on the right-hand column there, most of the cases are in elderly people over the age of 70 and 80, and those are uh, presumably have underlying health conditions there as well. 
well. So this shows us this virus can lay people flat no matter what age you are at. It is hitting young people, but it is primarily hitting unvaccinated people. So if you're an anti-vaxxer activist out there, go back and take a look at these graphics. They tell me that you run the real risk of finding yourself in very serious harm uh, and uh, situation in ICU. So that's what the numbers are telling us right now. We'll keep repeating the message until it finally yeah. sinks in. Keith, thanks very much. With less than a week before BC's vaccine card takes effect, another part of the hospitality sector also has some unanswered questions about enforcement. Banquet halls and event planners want to know who exactly is responsible for checking vaccination status. Richard Zussman reports. It's the trademark of wedding planners planning. And in COVID, now with a new vaccine card, it's much harder. That's something that we've learned in the last 18 months is assume nothing because there, there seems to be somewhere in the dark there's a plan. Starting on Monday, proof of at least one vaccination will be required to go to an indoor wedding, an organized family reunion at a community center, an organized function at a restaurant. What is unclear is who is responsible to check the vaccine card. The onus will be on organizers uh, to ensure that people who attended uh, have the, the app and they can have it on a paper. You don't need necessarily to, to download the app to swipe it. The issue is, who is the organizer? For a wedding, is it the host, the planner, the venue? And who has to enforce a situation, like if the mother of the bride happens to be unvaxxed? We're trying to find as much information as we possibly can so that we can do our jobs properly and, and let people celebrate safely and know what we would do in a situation where the mother of the bride is not vaccinated. But at, as it stands right now, I, I don't have an answer. The province is making it clear the next month will be somewhat of a grace period. Venues like banquet halls grappling with situations where the person who booked the venue doesn't provide correct information about who is or isn't vaccinated. How are we to control every single person? Sometimes events are at 50% capacity. Some of the venues are still having, you know, three, 400 guests. Restaurants, bars, lounges, they have questions as well. Chief among them. Who will check the vaccine cards if a venue is rented out for a private event, either in part or in full? If you're hosting an event uh, at one of our establishments, we, um, we typically take responsibility for those, or the individuals who are organizing the event would get a special license to do it. Um, but those are the great questions that we're trying to get answers from right now. Among the unknowns, there is one certainty for businesses. They all say they need to hire more staff to ensure the vaccine card rules are followed. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. After more than a year of virtual visits, B.C.'s doctors are being encouraged to start seeing more patients in person. Provincial health authorities say now that more than 75% of eligible British Columbians are fully vaccinated, the virus should no longer be a barrier to hands-on health care. But John Waugh shows us why doctors don't want virtual visits to end entirely. I'm going to look into your left eye now. Remember the days when a visit to the doctor was up close and personal. Then the COVID-19 pandemic hit and the province pushed patients towards virtual checkups. I think it expanded care for my patients and I think it expanded flexibility of care for those who find it difficult to come to the office. How's your comfort level in the pain control? Most doctors have since adopted a hybrid model 
of virtual. Okay, just going to tighten for a minute there. And some in-person visits. Still, the province seems to be adding pressure for more face-to-face -face with patients. In a September 3rd letter, it writes, With appropriate measures in place, we expect all practitioners to resume routine in-person visits based on clinical needs and patient preferences. There have been a significant number of complaints from patients who cannot access a physician in person. And there's a lot of things turning up in the ER and in urgent care centres. One way the province might be pushing physicians back to in-person, reviewing the payment for virtual, stating the ministry is actively reviewing the current temporary fee codes and considering the appropriate path forward for virtual care compensation. The trick here, though, is to make sure that all the supports that are in place, including the financial supports, uh, are there so that uh, virtual care and in-person care are appropriately supported. During the pandemic, the payment for both are on par. The health ministry did not answer questions about whether a lower fee for virtual care was in the works. If they take all virtual away or make it less, they're probably just punishing good family docs or trying to do the best job with a bad situation. That's because family doctors say there's little difference in the time and costs associated with virtual visits. Just look in your eyes here. So while many believe there are benefits to both ways of looking in on a patient, doing so shouldn't come at a loss. John Hua, Global News. Royal Columbian Hospital has become the first surgical center in B.C. to put in place rapid COVID testing for patients who require emergency surgery. Those needing urgent, unscheduled surgeries will be screened for the virus using a recently developed molecular testing device. The results are available in just 15 minutes, allowing for the surgical team to know the patient's COVID status. Adding this testing in means that in addition to the screening that we do and the universal precautions that we do, we are able to identify higher risk patients where we can then even upgrade even more our personal protective equipment and the isolation procedures. All scheduled and elective surgical patients are still being tested and screened for COVID-19 in the days before their procedure. An out-of-control driver makes sidewalks unsafe in the downtown area. Witnesses describe jumping out of the way to save themselves. How it ended next on the news hour. Tragedy at a local McDonald's. How a customer died at the drive-thru coming up. And a young entrepreneur hit by thieves. What they took that has a lot more than retail value coming up later as well. Right now, though, witnesses say it's a miracle no one was hurt or even killed when a speeding SUV tore through downtown Vancouver, clipping trees and nearly hitting a number of pedestrians. Romina Dea spoke to witnesses and shows us how the chaos finally came to an end. Just gunned it straight at me. Um, I jumped out of the way, pulled my two dogs, and he literally missed me by about six inches. Uh, it was terrifying. Andrew, one of several pedestrians in the path of an out-of-control driver in downtown Vancouver Wednesday morning. I had people shouting at me, telling me that uh, he was trying to run people over. The driver, drunk or on drugs, according to witnesses, who tell Global News they dove out of the way as the SUV barreled into oncoming traffic on Richard Street near Pacific. He struck that vehicle that was in the intersection, and then he accelerated directly towards me. I was around there at that point, and that's when I realized, oh, shit. Right here, there's a gentleman in a pink shirt with his stroller walking with his baby and he's heading straight at him. 
and he would have hit them and potentially killed both of them if not for hitting the tree right here. After smashing into the tree, witnesses say the driver took off into oncoming traffic again, hit a car and then ran away. Luckily, some much braver, much bigger people than me um, tackled him to the ground. The suspect taken into custody by Vancouver police. No one was injured. Based on the evidence thus far, investigators believe this was an intoxicated man, not someone who was deliberately targeting pedestrians. I was definitely in a state of shock when it happened. I'd never been through anything like that before where you see a car come coming flying at you. Um, I think you just look back at it, you go, it's a miracle no one got hurt. Romina Dea, Global News. The public hearing into the actions of two transit police officers came to an abrupt halt after defense counsel accused the police complaint commissioner of hiding three new witnesses. And a warning, some of the images in this story are disturbing. The police misconduct hearing restarted Tuesday, more than a decade after the violent arrest of a UBC student at the Rupert Street Skytrain station at the hands of Constable Edgardo Diaz and former Constable Michael Hughes. One of those new witnesses, a transit dispatcher, came forward to the police complaint commissioner last year, nine years after the incident. Defense counsel is accusing the commissioner of deliberately withholding evidence, a charge they deny. The hearing will continue in October. And one person is dead after a tragic accident at a Vancouver drive through It happened just before 7 a.m. at the McDonald's at Main and Terminal location. The man was paying for his food when he dropped his bank card, and as he reached out the door for it, his car rolled, pinning him. He died at the scene, and police say members of his family and restaurant staff witnessed the death. The VPD Collision Investigation Unit and the BC Coroner Service are now investigating. Just ahead, retailers reeling from new costs. What's causing a wave of higher prices for shipped goods and how those prices will be passed on to you. Plus, the special operation to bring Afghan refugees to B.C. and the biggest challenge once they get here. A truck lost its load on Highway 1 eastbound after Kensington and it must have struck these vehicles or affected them in some way because now it's blocked off on the right lane and the right shoulder. So significant eastbound delays along Highway 1. It's time to fall into savings at Chevrolet. Right now get 0.99% financing for up to 60 months on the 2022 Trailblazer. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. In Global One, I'm Tim Main. Live from Gatineau, the party leaders face off about Canada and its future. The Federal Leaders Debate, commercial free, Thursday, live on Global. The province has announced the maximum allowable rent increase for 2022 will be capped at 1.5%. That means if landlords choose to increase rent, they have to provide three months' notice to tenants using the proper forms, and it cannot take effect prior to January 1, 2022. To help renters through the pandemic, the B.C. government enacted a rent freeze, which expires on the last day of December. Landlords are legally only allowed to hike rent prices once a year. Many aspects of our lives are impacted by the pandemic, and that includes higher prices for almost everything that gets shipped from overseas. Many B.C. retailers are struggling with skyrocketing transportation costs. 
And as Aaron MacArthur reports, it's impacting their bottom line and eventually yours too. Uh, things like our, our, our first choice kimchi. Every jar of kimchi, every package of seaweed crossed an ocean just to get to store shelves. For Hanka Foods CEO Eugene Ahn, the sticker shock of the transportation is getting to be ridiculous. It's a struggle to um, maintain my sanity, but we are kind of exhausting all of our resources and options in order to maintain that competitive edge. While the cost of things has gone up during the pandemic, the real issue is the cost of the actual shipping containers. Renting one used to run around 1500 US dollars for a trip between Asia and North America. It can now be more than 11,000. Increased consumer demand, combined with manufacturing slowdowns and delays at major ports, have led to a shortage of containers. Logistics experts don't see the situation improving until well after Christmas. Everyone expects that we should be getting back to somewhat like normal in February, March. You know, this thing cannot go on forever. The Burnaby Board of Trade has been tracking this issue for months. It's affecting everyone from major grocery chains to small family-run businesses. The government needs to step in and look at ways of easing this pandemic-related hardship. Increasingly, we're hearing from small businesses that are just finding that the, the unbelievable increase just in the course of this last few months is something which they're really finding it hard to, to manage and, and to cope with. Consumers will eventually pay to reflect the new shipping costs, but changing price points takes time. Some business owners may not outlast the surge. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Coming up, what to do about COVID troublemakers. We're going to refuse their stupid test. Identifying the dirty dozen conspiracy super spreaders coming up. Also tonight, the big debate. What we'll get as federal party leaders face off in French tonight. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Major delays along 88th Avenue and King George Boulevard. There's a crash just east of King George on 88, so that is totally blocked eastbound. Westbound traffic is getting through, but eastbound you cannot get anywhere. So King George traffic backing up as a result of this while they clean everything up and tow everything away. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. In Global One, I'm Tim Main. An arrest warrant has been issued for a Nanaimo man facing child pornography charges. Michael Gordon Lowry of Nanaimo is charged with voyeurism and possession of child pornography. The 69-year-old was arrested back in November 2019 and later released with conditions, but he recently missed a scheduled court date. Nanaimo RCMP are asking anyone with information on his whereabouts to contact the non-emergency line. Lowry is described as about 6 foot 1, 200 pounds, bald with blue eyes. 
Already, dozens of Afghan refugees have arrived in B.C. since the takeover by the Taliban, and hundreds more are expected in the coming months. Grace Key has the story of one family and how it's adjusting to its new life in Canada. We were uh, some of the lucky ones that were evacuated before the fall of Kabul. Uh, the airport uh, was relatively calm on the day that we left. We can't identify him for fear of retribution against families still in Afghanistan, so we'll call him Mohammed. He fled Kabul with his mother, wife and three children. A week later, the Taliban controlled the capital. There are a lot of uh, people who still need to get out. There are people who actually had a hope for a new beginning for Afghanistan who are all uh, in direct threat now. 23 Afghan refugee families are now in the province. Immigrant Services Society of BC, a government-funded agency, assists with their resettlement. With federal income support mirroring provincial welfare rates, they are putting out a call for gift cards and housing. Our biggest challenge is finding housing. Housing that is based primarily on BC welfare rates. That's the biggest challenge. That's the biggest help we need. Up to 300 more refugees are expected in BC in the next few months, and some will be human rights activists, journalists, those in the LGBTQ community, and women and girls. I call on Canada's government to to work with the international community to put additional pressure on whichever government takes uh, over in Afghanistan. Mohammed grew up in Afghanistan during the war and dreams of his children living in a peaceful society. I want them to not wake up in the middle of the night with gunfires. I want them to have a stable education. I want them to have a school, a university that they can try and get into and be successful in their lives. Mohammed studied abroad on a Fulbright scholarship before assisting with Canada's mission in Afghanistan. It's his first day as an SFU student working towards a master's degree in public policy. Grace Key, Global News. A small group of anti-racism activists returned to Richmond Provincial Court where a couple facing charges in connection to an alleged racist outburst were scheduled to appear. Astrid Maria Sacrive and Michel Jean-Jacques Bertome have been charged with mischief in relation to this March incident at a Richmond coffee shop. The organizers of today's rally say it's important for them to keep appearing at court to show their opposition to the rise in anti-Asian racism. Everyone should uh, care about these things. Uh, it's not only because of um, I'm, I'm a Chinese Canadian, because I'm a Canadian. So I think this is a fight with uh, all the people who, who like the racism. So we fight for the Canadian's value. If convicted, the maximum punishment for mischief under Canadian law is just under two years in jail and or a $5,000 fine. Well, you've probably seen it unfold on social media. Average Joes shooting to online fame for their controversial stance on COVID-19. Normally, you'd choose to ignore them, but with the nation in the grips of a fourth wave, does it become irresponsible to simply scroll past the misinformation super spreaders? Global's Noor Ibrahim takes a look. Got my bags, and we're going to go outside. We're going to refuse their stupid test. You know, I don't know if there's a quicker way right now to get a following. Psychology professor Steve Jordan says spreading COVID-19 conspiracies represents a call to action, almost an identity to some. Everybody in here, if you are a Canadian citizen, simply deny the test 
deny their quarantine and there's nothing you can do. They cannot stop you. During their rise to online fame, Jordan says engaging in discord with these influencers is exactly what they want to grow their platform. In a 2021 report, the Center for Countering Digital Hate uncovered the disinformation dozen. Twelve prominent individuals were responsible for spreading 65% of anti-vaccine content online. Science communication specialist Celia Du says you shouldn't view everyone as a hopeless case. We need to recognize that believing misinformation is not a measure of intelligence. We all do it and we have to really approach this with humility and empathy and patience. If the content is false or dangerous, Du says report it and keep scrolling. But misinformation can be hard to ignore, even feel personal, when it comes from family and friends. Do says whether or not you choose to engage depends on how polarized that individual may be. But that conversation should always start by shedding your ego. Step one, actively listen to them. Repeat back to them what they said, as non-judgmentally as possible. And then step two, say, may I now present my perspective? It may not convince them of your stance, Do says, but it shows them you still care and accept them regardless. But if they're too uncompromising, Jordan says arguing could cost you your mental health and that entire relationship. That's why he says it's best to focus on what you do have in common and let vaccine passports and mandates do the rest of the work. Nudie Ibrahim, Global News. It's not easy, but it's good advice. Up ahead, the story of a young antique dealer hit by thieves. That was really devastating to find that it was gone. The precious possessions she had no intention of selling that were stolen. And in sports, a BC boy becomes only the second Canadian ever to enter the vaunted Baseball Hall of Fame. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A rally in downtown Vancouver today, just ahead of the French federal leaders' debate, calling for climate action to be a greater priority in the election campaign. The group says the record heat and fires B.C. experienced this summer are examples of how bad the problem is getting. They cite an August 9th report by international scientists that indicates the climate emergency is getting worse faster than expected. This climate crisis has come to a head and the next 10 years are going to be the most critical period according to the IPCC report that was just released. If we don't elect someone who will take this crisis seriously and make real tangible action, we are going to regret it forever. The rally finished up with a short march through the downtown area. Now, the leaders are already in the middle of the first of two back-to-back debates with election day less than two weeks away. And this is an opportunity to turn the tides in their favor. Global's Miranda Anthistle takes a look at where the leaders stand and what they need to do to stand out. It was a far different cry from the previous campaign stops for Liberal leader Justin Trudeau, who was greeted by the screams of supporters outside a vaccine clinic in Gatineau, Quebec. He met with volunteers and staff ahead of the French language debate, where analysts say there's a lot at stake for each leader. Debates are really important for leaders to sharpen the differentiation between themselves and their rivals, 
Debates can energize or deflate supporters. Uh, they can ignite or arrest momentum for each of the campaigns. They can Public affairs advisor Daniel Tisch says each leader has a lot to win or lose. Erno O'Toole, who cleared his mind with a morning run, will be a target because of the momentum the Conservatives have gained since the campaign kicked off. While Jugmeet Singh needs to convince progressive voters the NDP is the best alternative to the Liberals. Yves-Francois Blanchet is fighting for the Bloc Québécois' survival. And Tish says the Greens' Annemie Paul has everything to gain in the debate as her campaign is faltering. This is a chance for the leaders to shape the ballot question in voters' minds. And for Trudeau, it's reminding Canadians of the party, not necessarily the person they last voted in. He's got to shift the focus away from himself and more onto the direction in which he's led the country, which most people generally support. Tish says this campaign has lacked focus, with no concrete plan to grow the country's wealth. The clashes between leaders have been less about policies and more about motives and trust. And so these debates are arguably even more important than usual. If you plan to vote early or you plan to vote by mail, you probably have to make your decision earlier. And so I think that's intangible. That probably raises the stakes a little bit and will make the leaders uh, a little bit more nervous. Miranda Anthesel, Global News. And as we mentioned, the French language debate is underway now with English translation on global news platforms. And the English debate airs tomorrow from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific. As such, there will be no news hour tomorrow, but tune into Global News at 5 for your headlines. And there will be a post-debate show on BC1. Let's check in now with Christy and a look ahead uh, to the weather. Turned out to be a pretty decent afternoon. It sure did, Chris. Uh, You know, we're so lucky here across the West because in eastern Canada and southern Ontario, they've had back-to-back-to-back severe weather days. They had three confirmed tornadoes off in Lake Huron on Sunday. Then early Monday, another confirmed tornado inland uh, in Port uh, Albert. And then yesterday evening, a massive line of thunderstorms moved on shore. An unconfirmed tornado at this point, which is the wreckage that you're seeing now, it moved towards the GTA and weakened, but it was several hours of severe thunderstorms, uh, damaging winds in excess of 100 kilometers an hour, and hail reported to be toony size. So they'll be assessing the damage in that last one from yesterday evening. That was in the King's... Uh, uh, King's Uh, Sorry, it's in the Lucknow area, and they'll be assessing that. All right, let's have a look at our weather. As Chris mentioned, yeah, things turned around today, and it will likely again tomorrow. There's a look at your Humidex values today. So it was muggy, that's for sure. Some areas away from the water reaching 27, 28 degrees. Now, I'm having a hard time clicking my weather, if you don't mind helping me over there. Oh, no, it seems to be going now. Uh, So tomorrow morning, the bulk of the moisture will be north of Metro Vancouver. We do have a slight chance in our region through the morning hours now. More breaks of blue sky are expected later in the day, but there's still some uncertainty as to whether we still have a slight chance of showers later in the day. Looking at some of the other computer models you can see along the mountains out through the Fraser Valley, there is that chance. So it's kind of a day. Just keep your rain jacket just in case. Otherwise, I think you can expect sunshine and warmth tomorrow afternoon after a few isolated showers in through the morning hours. So once again, there is your Thursday forecast, everyone. A little bit of a wet start to the day, but we will uh, break out of it or hoping to at the very least across the region. Now, Friday, we do have a chance of showers right now, but again, not very much at all, mainly just cloud. As we head into the weekend, it looks much drier, certainly as uh, we'll see a bit of cloud cover, but no uh, chance of showers. All right, tonight's central windows weather window is from... 
Vancouver, Douglas Bauer sending us this, and this is one of the sailing regattas that they had uh, out in the ocean there, out in the bay. That's one of those photos. I used to teach sailing. Yeah, that's one of those photos when people from around the country see it, they get really jealous of us. Well done, Douglas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to uh, sports. Big, big day in baseball, and Canadian baseball especially. Well, and B.C. baseball, Mm -hmm. because the man from Maple Ridge made it to Cooperstown today. Larry Kenneth Robert Walker. Larry Walker talks about his hometown and Canada and being in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Look forward to more of that. Also later, a vintage goods dealer robbed of some precious artifacts. The sentimental favorites she hopes she can get back. Live from Gatineau, the party leaders face off about Canada and its future. The Federal Leaders Debate, commercial free, Thursday, live on Global. Been a lot of great Canadian baseball players, a lot of great British Columbia baseball players, but the greatest is Larry Walker now, we can say that. That is for sure. And there have been a lot of great B.C. baseball players, and there will be a lot more as time goes along. But the man from Maple Ridge finally got his official welcome to Baseball's Hall of Fame today. Larry Walker was inducted, the second Canadian after Ferguson Jenkins, to make it to the Shrine, the first ever from B.C. And during his Hall of Fame speech today, he reminisced about his time in this part of the world, where he really didn't get a chance to play a lot of baseball when he was growing up. I played no more than 15 to 20 baseball games a summer until I was 16. But I did play lots of fast-pitch softball in the Maple Ridge Lanes team with my dad and my three brothers, all wearing the same uniform. That was probably when my brothers would tell me they taught me everything I know about baseball. And I also learned from my Little League coaches and with the Pitt Meadows Lions, Lauren Upstell, Paul Hamlin, and of course, my dad. And also my time with the Coquitlam Reds in 1983 and 4 with coaches Don Archer, Bill Green, and Wayne Martin. Because Larry Walker didn't play much as a kid, he actually had to learn the game in the minors. He remembers not even knowing the rules of base running in one of his early games as a pro. I took off for second, and of course I didn't peek in to see where the ball was hit. And as I'm rounding second, heading to third, Gino's screaming at me to get back. Well, it turned out the ball was hit in the air to right center. So I got back. Slid in, easily safe, called out. Get up down the umpies blind and a bunch of other choice words. It turns out, getting back to first base, you do not cut right behind the pitcher's mound through the infield, which is what I did. I already touched second once. Why the heck do I got to touch it again? And even though the hat on his official Hall of Fame plaque is that of the Colorado Rockies, when Larry Walker first broke into the major leagues, he was a Montreal Expo. I enjoyed many years in Montreal. None of them as good as that 1994 team. We all lost out that year from the work stoppage, and nobody knows what would have happened that year. But I still imagine what it would have been like to bring a World Series to Quebec. To the fans hoping for their team to return to Montreal, I join you in hoping before long that Major League Baseball returns to your beautiful city. 
To Toronto, where Canada, John Herdman's squad was taking El Salvador tonight. Third game of the World Cup qualifying, third round session for the Canadians. They had two draws tonight. They picked up a big win, and they did it without Alfonso Davies, who's hurt. And Kyle Lahren didn't play this game either. Atiba Hutchinson scores the first goal six minutes in. Canada's up 2-0, 11 minutes in. This is a nice little play here. Jonathan David from Tejon Buchanan. That made it 2-0. Here's a dirty play. Look at this. Whoa! How's that not a red card? Buchanan will get his revenge the best way possible by scoring on them. 3-0, the final. Big win for Canada. And now don't play until October 7th in this tournament. Okay, we tried to put this out there yesterday, but there were gremlins in our machines. So we're going to do it again. The Whitecaps' next game is uh, this Friday against Portland, a chance to stretch their unbeaten streak to 11. And the streak, as you might remember, started under the former head coach, Mark DeSantos. It has continued with interim head coach, Vanny Sartini, who likely will not get the full-time job as the Whitecaps coach next season. But this guy's enthusiasm for the job of coaching the Whitecaps is fun to watch, and I'm quite sure it rubs off on all the players. It's contagious because I'm... Uh... I'm a textbook definition of an extrovert. I, 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 I take energy from other people. So I hope that I give energy back too. So I think I'm a good plant. I, I don't know how much it's going to last. And uh, so I'm enjoying it every day here in this position. So yeah, I, I'll try to keep the energy up also because it's the only way that I live, uh, I, I, I live this job and, and also I live life too. So yeah, you know, that's, that's the way I am. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not faking it. <laughs> Speaking of uh, coaches who have a lot of energy, uh, Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. Now, they start the season on Sunday on the road against the Indianapolis Colts. You might remember last year, Seattle started very well, 5-0. and It was like a video game offense. They kept scoring. It was like having Bo Jackson in Tecmo Bowl. They couldn't be stopped. But it was necessary because Seattle's defense couldn't stop anyone either at the start of last season. It was a really unusual year. Um, we were scoring so much early in, in games and early in, in, we got ahead so far that we, we gave up just an extraordinary amount of yards in the in fourth quarters. I mean, we gave up 180 or 200 yards in the fourth quarter and your numbers look crazy, you know. But um, the season changed some and, 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 the whole, and we shifted with it and took advantage of it and, and just got better as we went along. We were giving away easy stuff. You know, we were giving away just catch and run stuff and just wasn't, we weren't as sharp um, as we needed to be. Tomorrow, Leila Annie Fernandez in the semis. The next day, Felix Auger-Aliassime in the semis. Canadians have taken over this U.S. Open. What a time to be alive. We'll be cheering them on. Thanks very much, Squire. Appreciate that. A young vintage goods dealer gets a lot of support after some thieves stole her treasure. That's coming up next. Support is pouring in for a young White Rock woman who's had her small business targeted by thieves. Lyric Kennedy had her shop broken into over the weekend, and more than 150 vintage collectibles were stolen. But as Kamal Karamali reports, since the crime, the teen's antiques or the teen antiques picker has been flooded with acts of kindness. Just to return this stuff. Just the drawers and stuff, that would be great. A desperate plea from a teenage antique picker to the robbers who ransacked her garage Saturday morning. 
I had a panic attack and I broke down and I felt very violated. They broke into her car, stole her garage door opener, and found her place of business. This is a first aid fire badge from 1920s. Lyric Kennedy has been collecting antiques since she was a child. Just ask her mom. I mean, at five, she would beg us to go to garage sales. Having a knack for finding old items. She's obsessed with it, like just loves it. It's the, the hunt. And then selling them for profit. Business is good. So much so that at 19, she decided to skip going to university and become an antique picker full time. She's collected hundreds and hundreds of antiques. This is a bird Christmas ornament. From toys to tin cans to all sorts of trinkets. Over here, they like move these and there's tins under them. But an early Saturday morning sabotage has left her in shambles. About 150 items stolen worth thousands of dollars and one item that was priceless. They took five of the drawers. Drawers from a cabinet built by her grandpa, leaving the piece and lyric incomplete. It's kind of like passed down generation, so it just really sucks. Like now I just really wanted, I got it in my store finally and the stuff's gone, so it sucks. Also missing a custom neon sign with her business's name. I got that for my 19th birthday, so, and my whole family helped pay for it. But the community coming together. I've got a very cool thing to tell you about. To pick up a fellow antique picker. We put our money together and we, it's not here yet, but we bought you a new sign. A new neon sign in hopes it brightens a dark week. I'm like so loved. Thank <laughs> you. The used vintage collectible community is really tight and just a great bunch of people. Hey, what? No. And gives her the spark she needs to keep doing what she loves. I'm not gonna let anyone push me down. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Good job, Lyric. Back on her feet before you know it. Okay, uh, 29 seconds left. I'll give you 20 for uh, weather, Gordo, and then I got one thing to say at the end. Okay, sounds good. So overnight tonight, we are expecting increasing clouds. So a slight chance of showers tomorrow morning, uh, but bulk of the moisture should be north of Metro Vancouver. And we're certainly hoping for some breaks of blue sky later tomorrow, similar to today. All right, listen. Not enough time? That's good. None of this happens without our producer, Marsha Gabriel. Happy birthday, Marsha. Oh, I didn't even know that. I would have got her something nice. <laughs> Happy Thanks birthday, Marsha. <laughs> See you, everybody. Thanks for watching. <laughs>